to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hi, Jody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to all our listeners. Hi, Eleni. I can't believe it's 2024. And of course, like everybody else, I'm going to forget what year it is and write the wrong thing for a few weeks now. I'm so glad we can come back together. This is actually the last episode we recorded in 2023. So if you caught us when we recorded live over Instagram, you got to hear this episode um, a few weeks ago, and now it's going live on all of your favorite podcast streaming platforms. So our fans will get to meet it as a New Year's gift. Oh, that's so exciting. Tell me more about our guest, Dr. Jason Diamond. Okay. So if you watch reality TV, you totally know who he is. But if you don't watch reality TV like me, he is a Beverly Hills-based double board certified facial plastic surgeon. He actually grew up right near you and me. (laughs) So he grew up early years in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And then like elementary school and beyond was a town from where I grew up in New Jersey. That is so interesting. Such a small world. What are the chances that this world-renowned surgeon can tie back to both of us? That's so funny. There's so many different people who thread through and that we meet on this show and see where they're from. Well, uh, this is a great conversation. Is one of my favorites of the year because, you know, like this guy's major. <laughs> you know, like he's basically like flying around the world to give like royalty their Botox and stuff. I mean, it's kind of nuts the um, exposure that he has and how well-known he is and how good he is at his craft. But he's like so normal and humble and really willing to have a great, rich, deep conversation about like life-work balance, how to focus on your family when there really is obviously very clearly like a true seduction of, you know, enhancing his success every day. I love it. There's so many interesting people and interesting stories on this show. We started last year, I guess, at the top of 2023 with C-Suite, then influencers and artists, and ended with health innovations. Who were some of the standout guests from last year's seasons? I'm so glad you asked, because this is actually a topic that's on my mind, because now twice a year, we host our Listen Again Awards, and our next awards will be given out end of January, so really soon. And we're going to be honoring our quarter three artistry and quarter four health guests, along with a guest from our archive episodes. So these episodes are so, so good that you will want to listen again. I'm so excited for the awards to be announced along with your special co-host for the event. It should be a really great party celebrating our guests. But for now, let's get to Dr. Jason Diamond, episode 247. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. We are a career journey podcast talking about what it's like to define success and reach for it in the beauty and wellness industries. Today, we finish our health innovation theme quarter and this whole podcast season with Dr. Jason Diamond, Beverly Hills-based double board certified facial plastic surgeon. In addition to being featured in Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, Allure, Marie Claire, and The Hollywood Reporter, he is a go-to medical authority for news and television networks. Dr. Diamond was a featured facial plastic surgeon on both the e-reality show Dr. 90210 and the Netflix series, The Celebrity Plastic Surgeons of Beverly Hills. But wait, there's more. He's also the founder of Medicine, a skincare brand inspired by the Diamond Face Institute's practices and procedures. Dr. Diamond is sought after by A-list celebrities, influencers, and patients around the world. He's beautifying their lives one face at a time. I'm excited to dive into the conversation about his career journey from baseball to face overhaul, all on episode 247. 
Hi, Dr. Diamond. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So this is a career journey show, and we always start at the beginning. And when I say the beginning, I mean like your 10-year-old self. So tell me, if you're 10 years old again, what do you want to be when you grow up? So 10 years old, let's see. So I'm in 10 years old. What grade am I in? I'm probably in fourth, fifth grade. Yeah, I, I I would say probably a few years later than that, definitely I want to be a professional baseball player. I don't know about 10 years old, but probably by 12, 13, 14. At 10 years old, I, I think I wanted to be a professional kickball player or something. Who knows? I don't remember. Kickball is my sport. I actually organize like an adult kickball thing in my neighborhood. It is so much fun. It is so. I still remember those days as a kid. It was Although I always got picked last. You know, I was one of like the last kids picked, but it was still so much fun. Okay, wait, wait, we have to dive into this. Why do you think you're a pick last? Well, it, it goes into my whole story, but I was, I was like the only Jewish kid in an all-Italian town. And so I, I got picked on a lot, bullied a lot, and, what, and I was a good athlete. I, and as we get into my baseball story, you'll see, like I, was, I, was, I wasn't the best athlete, but I was... I got picked on a lot because of that, and also I was very young for my grade. My birthday is December 21st, and back in those days, that's, you know, the cutoff is December 29th or whatever it is, so I was the youngest kid in the class every year, and you know, at those ages, when you're younger, you're smaller, Every you know, six months makes a huge difference. The difference between a 10-year-old and a 10 and a half year old that's a big difference. So I was probably smaller and skinnier than most of the kids up until a certain point. So for those reasons, I was always like picked last or one of the last. So um, it turns out we grew up near each other. I grew up in Roseland, New Jersey, and you said you were living in East Hanover, New Jersey. That's literally the next town over. Next town over. Um, when I was in college, I had a waitressing job at Cafe Z, which was like in the mini in the strip mall on Route 10. <laughs> I don't know if you remember Cafe Z. I was not a good waiter. I got fired. Um, but um, it's not often that I meet somebody who like literally grew up right near me. I I was uh, I graduated in '93 from high school. '93. I graduated in '89. What high school okay. did you go to? I went to West Essex in North Caldwell. Okay, I went to North Academy. Okay, so we played you. Yeah. I mean, my team played. I don't. Yeah. I played lacrosse there and things like that. Okay, this is cool. So let's talk about the baseball dreams. You know, actually, when I'm in my day job at Base Beauty, I talk a lot with my team about how we teach people not just to do the job, but how to have a job. And it all goes back to like things in high school, like being the captain of a team, totally transferable to managing people at work, you know, asking for extra help in math class and like practicing side by side with a teacher, one at a time, two at a time, then go off and do 10 on your own. So let's talk about these like, you know, formative years, maybe high school years. Yeah. Was baseball in your future? Was it in my future at that time? Mm -hmm. I was hoping. So I, so my story, so I was, I wasn't actually much of a student. It just wasn't something that kids in East Hanover did. No one really studied the people I hung out with. We, we weren't into, no one cared about grades. We were going outside and screwing around. And I mean, that's just how it was. So, but it turned out I was, I was fairly athletic and I liked baseball a lot and I was pretty good at it. So when I get to college, when I, when I get to high school, my freshman year, 
I try out for the baseball team. But the first high school I went to was Hanover Park High School. That was the East Hanover and Florham Park combination. And then I transferred to North Academy later. But I go to freshman year at Hanover Park High School, which is a combination of those two towns. Well, I knew all the East Hanover kids. We, we played, we, we grew up together with all, the, you know, with all these kids. And I played ball with all these kids on travel teams. Or we knew, and I was one of the best players of, of my year, of my group for years and years and years. We go to tryouts uh, my freshman year, and you know, and there's 20 Florham Park kids that come in as well, and I didn't know them, but I got cut from the freshman team, and all my friends made the team, and these were all kids that I played with, and I was the I was an all star on the team, I was one of those players, and and it was devastating to me, and this is this this sort of led me on my path actually. It was devastating to me. It was all I cared about. It was all I knew. It was my whole identity. It was everything. And when I got cut, I didn't know what I was going to do. And so I, you know, I crawled up into a ball and just sort of, you know, I, I was like just kind of in the fetal position, metaphorically speaking, for a month. And finally, my dad talked to me about it. He said, well, why don't you go talk to the coach? And so I did. I, and that was good advice he gave me. I, that's why I went and talked to him. He said, just ask him what happened. So I went and asked him. And he just said, you know, I just thought there were kids better than you. And I said, I said, okay. And this coach didn't know me. Like he didn't, he didn't know. And, and I was, again, not the point of the story, but I was definitely deserving of being on the team. I was better than 90% of the kids on the team, but whatever. Okay. So I decided that I, after, after a month of just sulking, I said, you know what? I'm going to show these MFers. I can say that, right? I'm going to show them. And I spent the entire year just really practicing and getting stronger, all with the motivation of making the team and showing them. It wasn't even about anything else. And this was about proving myself and proving that I belonged. It had nothing to do with any even bigger aspirations. And so, but that motivated me to work really, really hard and to grind. And I practice every single night in my basement, winter nights, spring nights. I mean, I practice drills, all these drills that I've learned and worked on getting stronger and came back my sophomore year and I made the team. And out of all that entire group of people that made that team, I was the only one to go play college ball. And I, and I became the captain of, my, uh, captain of the team as a senior. So the reason the story itself isn't that interesting or exciting, but the thing is that ship on my shoulder that I had, it still sits right there. And that's a big motivator for me to still today prove to everybody that I deserve to be here, I belong, and that thing sits squarely on that shoulder to this day. And that, so that's a, you know, that was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me, actually. You know, in those long, dark nights of dreary studying in the stacks in college and med school, that chip on my shoulder got me through a lot and powered me through. And so I think that's a pretty important thing that happened to me. There's so much pain, right, and um, loneliness in that story, right, when you didn't make the team, right, because you're the only one. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of something that I experienced that definitely motivates me. I don't, I don't know if that's a chip on my shoulder, but I went to a, um, Lafayette College, a small college in Pennsylvania. I applied to Lafayette. I, I love Lafayette. I didn't go there, but I, I was in my, one of my top few choices. So, you know, Greek life was so important. I get there freshman year. Guess what? I don't get into any sororities. Uh, like, it was like my entire reason for going there. Yeah. And like the loneliness that I felt yeah. 
and the sadness and not even really being able to admit truly like how sad and devastated I was because if I admitted that, then what? Like it was too painful. Yeah. It completely changed the trajectory of like literally everything that came after it because I had to figure it out in a way that no one no one else I knew had to. Like literally this, I didn't know one other person this happened to. So I completely get it. Um, I think that if you're somebody who can really listen to those inner voices and understand them and you don't have to like them, <laughs> but understand them, they can be incredibly powerful. And I totally am this person that I am today because of like the loneliness and sadness and everything that came after that for me in college. Um, so I appreciate that story. Yeah. It's hard to say that like things weren't perfect and they weren't easy. They rarely are though. Yeah. And you know, now as a dad with kids, you know, you see these things like my kid, my 12 year old got cut from his travel baseball team. He's in seventh grade. And again, it was like, Oh, we, he was freaking out. I was freaking out. And then I stepped back. I was like, wait a second. This is probably a really good thing, and he can't see it yet, and he may not see it for five years. But he also was like, "I want to start taking hitting lessons." I want to, and like he's grinding now too. He doesn't even realize, but it's a it's probably the best thing that happened to him as well. Like you realize, you want an easy path. I think you think you want an easy path, but you realize these bumps in the road these can really shape who you are, and it's just a matter of you know being able to grind through those hard times, and then you really those you really benefit from that down the road. This is turning into a bit of a therapy session. I'm going to go a little farther. I think that these moments create a like a heat and an energy for ambition, right? When like it doesn't work out the easy way, there's one direction it could go in, which is like, fine, I'll just hide and not do anything and choose the easy path, which is never play baseball again. Yeah. Or it creates this fire and energy source that for me made me like crazy ambitious. I don't know where it comes from. I'm just always like, I want better. I want different. I want to push farther. And I think it's from these like awful situations that just like burn inside of me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Totally. I, I agree with that. Okay. Before we move ahead, we're getting a little deep. Um, I want to shout out to Tammy on your team who is like literally so incredible. <laughs> so I hope that she's listening because we appreciate her so much. What a gem to have on your team. She's so knowledgeable about you. Like really like just gave us like all the, all the juicy details to be able to like inform our conversation today. And she just seems so smart and lovely. So hi, Tammy. Thank you for your help here today. Okay, let's talk about let's leave high school. Okay, you are you're a physician now. How did this happen? Like what what was the path that said to you like, Oh, my God, I totally want to be a doctor? Yeah. So so when I was in high school, I was someone that I knew a friend of mine, he was involved in 10th grade, 10th or 11th grade, he was involved in a car accident, and he got his face smashed up pretty good. And he was devastated at the, the trauma that had occurred and he thought like no one would ever want to date him again and he's going to want to hang out with him and all these things it was really devastating for him and then he had some facial surgery some reconstructive and, and cosmetic surgery to kind of repair things and to see the difference and how that made him whole like blew me away I never even knew what this stuff was so I was really blown away by how much it could change somebody's self-esteem and restore them. So that made a big impression on me. And then the funny part of this is he would bring, like at the time, this is 1987, there were no cell phones, people had Polaroids. So he had some Polaroid shots of the intraoperative photos that the doctors took with the skull, the, the scalp pulled down. You could see all the plates on the cracked bones and the titanium mesh and all the blood. And he'd bring in the photos just for a goof from time to time. And everybody would run for the hills when you bring the photos. The girls would go, would go throw up, and the guys would, 
but I was obsessed with these photos. I'd take them, I'd stare at them. I, like, I, I wanted to bring them in every day. I loved them. And so I just like had a weird obsession with it. It was so odd. So, but that was my first like even exposure into what this, what this thing is, this facial surgery world is. Uh, and then, and then one other thing that occurred when I was a senior in high school, we had to go do what was called a senior project. Your senior year, they gave you a week to go spend time anywhere you wanted with somebody in a field related to something you might be interested in. So I had an uncle who lived in Scarsdale, New York, who's a physician. Scarsdale's only an hour and a half drive or hour drive, whatever. And I had cousins that were around my age that, that were there. And so I said, you know, I'm going to go spend that week in Scarsdale. I'm going to tell everyone it's because I want to go see what it's like to be a doctor. But really, I just wanted a free week to go screw around my cousins and run around Scarsdale and go to New York, you know, go to the city and stuff. So I did. I went and I said, this is what I'm going to do just to have fun. And my uncle, like two days in, and we're screwing. He said, hey, why don't you come to work with me the next day? So I'm like, all right, whatever. So I go to work with him. And he's a gastroenterologist. He was wearing scrubs. And he was going from room to room and seeing people, then going doing little procedures with scopes. He was looking down people's throats with scopes and doing whatever. And I was looking at it going, that's really pretty cool. Not only is it pretty cool that he's not sitting at a desk in a shirt and tie, he's like up on his feet interacting with all these people. I thought it was so cool. But I also thought, you know what, I could do that. Because before that, I didn't know any doctors. None of my friends' parents were doctors. Being a doctor wasn't something that was even in, on the radar for somebody from East Hanover, New Jersey, you know? And so I always thought that was some, you're born into that legacy somehow, or, you know, you have to be something from outer space to be a doctor. You have to be, but I'm like, I could do that. Like, you know, and so the experience of my friend with the car, with the facial injury, and then this, I was like, man, I think medicine might be something I want to do. So I go to college and I take pre-med and I'm kind of like, you know, I always heard how hard it was. And again, I wasn't a big student at this time. I always heard how hard pre-med was and how smart you had to be and all this stuff. So I said, okay, I'm going to do pre-med, but I'm like, I'll probably just drop out of it and go into whatever else, you know, but let me, for a goof, let me do it. And it turned out when I got to college, I became a student. I learned how to become a student. I was very interested in the material. I started studying. I started getting good grades. And then, you know, a year, two years in, I'm like, I'm pre-med and I'm getting like a 3.8, 3.9, like I'm doing this, you know? And I applied to med school and I got in, it's like, well, I'm in. And then it just, that's how it went. You know, it just, it wasn't something I knew from the beginning. It just sort of, just sort of went. Okay. Before we move on, have you seen the kid in high school who got into a car accident who had facial surgery? Have you seen him since high school? No. Okay. So I want him to know how impactful he he was on you. I hope he knows the story. It would be good to talk to him. And I actually talked to somebody from the good old days about a month ago to ask, are you still in? Because this person was a friend of a friend of mine. That's how I knew him. He wasn't like my best friend, but a friend of a friend. So I talked to that friend a month ago and said, hey, have you kept in touch with Brian? I, I should tell him. And she, and she said, no, I, I haven't talked to him in 10 years. So I don't know how to get in touch with him. I was like, oh, because I was thinking just that I should call him and tell him. Like, he's big reason I am where I am today. Yeah. Um, well, maybe he'll hear this um, and get the message. Okay. So you, um, I'm going to fast forward a bit. You have, you're like world, you know, not like world around. You are world renowned. You have people flying from all over the place to come see you and leverage your talents to help them in their lives. You um, are very media centric and, you know, certainly uh, the expert that the media taps when they have questions about your space. You've launched skincare, a very smart brand name medicine. Like that's just, I can't believe that nobody did 
did that. That's so awesome. So then we're going to talk about a topic that's, you know, maybe um, a little heavy, but I want to talk about success. Uh, what's fascinating about the topic of success to me is the seduction of it, meaning um, you reach a goal and that feels really good. And then you want to like keep pursuing. So that ambitious side that I talked about. But yet, you know, I know you're a dad. I'm sure you have other passions in your life other than work. So let's explore this a little bit. It seems like you keep doing more and more and more in multiple time zones. What is that moment where you're feeling so seduced by it that you have to ask yourself, should I be doing this? Is this where I want to put my time? And then how do you manage that conversation yeah. with yourself? It's a, that's the great question. That's the great juggling act and the great balancing act that I, you know, I don't know if there's a right answer for everybody, but I know there's a right answer for me. And I became aware of that when my kids were young. Okay. So yeah, I was a hundred percent. I mean, we're talking I would travel on weekends just to go work in cadaver labs to do surgeries on cadavers with a friend of mine who had access to them just to practice. I mean, I was obsessed 100% all in the whole time. And then I had kids and, you know, the kids are young and they're hanging around mom and it doesn't really have much to do with me for the first few years. So I'm still doing that. One day I am getting a lecture together. I was giving lectures and stuff. It was a Saturday. My kids were probably four and two, maybe five and three. I'm sitting there on a Saturday typing up this lecture that I had to prepare for. And it was a beautiful Saturday. My kids are outside. Hey dad, can you come play ball? And I said, guys, I got to do this thing, you know, and I'm sitting there all day long. And all of a sudden I'm like, what am I doing? I'm like, what am I doing this for? Is this for my own, am I lecturing for my own ego? I mean, is, am I doing this to get referrals? Like, what am I doing it for? And I typed this thing up and I was so miserable the rest of the day. I went and gave that lecture and I was gone for like three days. I think I missed a, kid, a game. I think I missed a little t-ball game or something. And I came home, I said, I'm never giving another lecture as long as I live because I am not gonna, until my kids are out in college, because I'm not gonna miss one more Saturday and I'm not going to miss one more game to do something that, like, what am I doing it for? So that was my first realization, like, whoa, I need to start paying attention to this. And it didn't trickle over much into my work life for a few more years. It trickled into my weekend life and my lecture life. And you, know, But I still was working crazy hours. And, I mean, we still do work crazy hours. But I would still miss some games. And I you know, working, I'd someone come in and I'd say, okay, I'm going and then a few years after that, maybe the kids were probably eight and six or whatever. It finally dawned upon me, boom, I'm never missing another game. I'm not missing any more games. I said, Tammy, I don't care if president Obama wants to come in for a consult. If there's a game, you tell him he's got to wait. And I said just that. And mm -hmm. I still live that to this day. I don't care who calls. If there's a game, I'm not missing it. So these things kind of keep piling up. And when I realized they keep popping up when I realize how important they are to be there, right? And so as the years have gone by, now the kids are really doing stuff. I'm like, I will not miss anything. And I won't even miss practices. Like Tammy even knows, even practices I want to get to on time just to go watch. I'm like, this is, you know, we only have a short time with these kids and this is the most important thing in the world. And so for me, that's kind of how it, work is the kids are the most morning work is a close second, but I am not going to miss family events for work. Not going to do it anymore. I've done it plenty in the past and not anymore. So that's kind of where I am. So it's, it's a total balancing act. And I don't want to be that person that reaches the top and then turns around and their kids are gone. And you missed 
their senior prom and you missed their, you missed all their things. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you just another story that's kind of interesting. I find it kind of funny. Last year, we had a, I make some private house calls to the Middle East uh, and to other places. I mean, I used to go open up shop in all these places. I had an office in Dubai, Moscow, all over the place, China. I don't do that anymore. I don't do it. But now I make, I still make private visits. People will call and I'll, I'll go, I'll fly over to Saudi Arabia for a day and just do a consult, do some Botox, maybe do a surgery here or there. Like I'll do that because I'm in and out in a day and I really don't even miss anything. We, we do it on a Sunday when there's nothing going on at home. I'm not missing anything for it. Okay, so we set up this trip and you know, I'm not gonna talk about the numbers, but they're significant for me to go, right? It's not nothing. And we had this plan for two months probably. And there's a lot that goes into planning this because there's licensure things and you gotta get ready, you know, equipment and all these things. We plan for two months. About 10 days or a week before that trip, about 10 days, Tammy's telling me to speed it up or something. <laughs> about 10 days or a week before the trip, my wife says, hey, by the way, I forgot to tell you, it's Jake, who's my ninth grader. It's his prom Saturday night and he's got a freshman football game. There wasn't supposed to be a football game. He plays high school football. There wasn't supposed to be a football game that weekend. I was gonna go on a Friday, and Saturday it was supposed to be an off week because he was playing on the JV team. But that, but she told me they're moving him down for the freshman game so he can play. So all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm gonna miss his first prom where he's gonna have people over at our house. I'm gonna miss this freshman game. And I said, Tammy, tell him I can't go. And she said, you're gonna willing to give up this amount to go? And I said, yep. I said, yep. So she uh, called him and said, listen, this is the deal. We didn't know. And they thankfully said, no problem. I understand because they had kids and they rescheduled. So luckily I got to go three weeks later or something like that. But I was like, even for something, you know, for a big, well-planned out trip, I wasn't going to miss it for, you know, because I didn't want to miss my kids stuff. Thank you for sharing that and, you know, being so open to pull the curtain back because I think a lot of listeners might be like, no way, like this is all talk, right? Like look at the practice he's built, look at the reputation, there's no way he's saying no to these things. And I I really connect with you on this. I'm not like world famous like you are, but you know, I have my family and that's what's really important to me. I'd say like my number one job is like learning how to be a whole human. The biggest um, impact of that is on my kids and my family. And then, you know, third level down is like at work. And I became an entrepreneur 16 years ago before I was even ever pregnant because I knew I wanted to be the mom the way I want to be a mom. And I wasn't going to find that at these companies that I was working at. And I've built my business very slowly, sometimes with a baby in my arms or on my lap. But I can say that like, I don't think there's anything that I missed that I wanted to be at, like ever. It's so important. And the things that I do miss, I'm choosing. I'm choosing to because, like you know, yeah. the 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 other thing is what I want to um, focus on right now. But I've been to I've been in so many other places, and I've always been able to follow my heart, which is where my kids are. Yeah. This is I know a privileged opportunity, but it was also like a very um, specific strategic decision I made a long time ago to really focus on my joy and my happiness, and not while I want to follow my ego. Sometimes I usually choose not to. Yeah, I, I I think that's I, to me that sounds like the best way to happiness. It, to me, I'm no expert in that, but you know, and I'm sure everybody's different, but with what they think is important. But I agree. I agree with you. I, to me, that's the way to happiness. 
Yeah, there's no right answer. I just knew that like I had a really strong vision for what motherhood looked like for me, not ever having kids before that, but I had an idea. But I didn't think that I'd have to give up other things for it. It's just about where the priority is and always staying rooted in my joy. Right. If I was whenever I would be obsessing of like, why am I working so hard? I'm not making enough money. Why am I working so hard? I'm not making enough money. That's not a joyful place. But once I realized, wow, I'm like wealthy in flexibility and wealthy in time, then I was like, oh, (laughs) this is working. Yeah, great. Good for you. Oh, thank you. So let's talk about medicine a minute before we move to our after show. You didn't have to launch a skincare brand. I'm sure um, the practice is doing just well. You're, you know, world renowned. People really respect um, your point of view. Why start something new now? So as you know, I'm a facial plastic surgeon. Made my career and reputation based on my facelift results, my facial surgery results. But all along the way, I knew the importance of addressing the skin, doing a multi-layered approach to facial surgery with the skin being a big part. And surgeons oftentimes neglect the skin because it's not our expertise and we don't learn it. But along my path where I was studying with experts, so before I started practice, this is an, this is an aside, but before I started practice, I spent two years basically living out of my car, just studying with the top people in the world, the top nose surgeons, the top facelift surgeons, the top implant surgeons. And I spent some time serendipitously with some skin doctors. And I wasn't even there to learn about the skin. I was there to learn about silicone injections. It used to be a a procedure where people would, instead of filler, they would inject silicone. Mm -hmm. I don't do it anymore. But it was fascinating to be back in the day and I wanted to learn it because no one did it. There were a few, one guy in New York, one guy in LA, one guy in Canada. So I wanted, so I spent some time with a guy in LA to learn that. But it just so happens he was a dermatologist and I spent a lot of time seeing Oh, how do you, how you address the skin on an expert level, which was much higher level than we learn as a facial surgeon. So at any rate, when I start my facial surgery practice, I incorporate that skin interest because you can do all you want underneath. If the skin isn't in good health or good shape, the results will suffer. So over the years, I, I maintained that interest and we developed a procedure in the office called the Diamond Instafacial. And it was something that involved taking your blood and turning it into plasma and using the bioregenerative methods to allow the body to heal itself, to allow the skin to rejuvenate itself. And I found that these treatments were the best that I had ever seen for skin improvements. I fell in love with the procedure, but the next thing you know, and I, and I didn't really do it for any bigger purpose and I just wanted to have something really good to offer my people. Next thing you know, it took off and it's become a cult Hollywood favorite. To this day, some of the biggest names in the world are coming in for that to keep their skin looking good and people come from all over the world. We call it the Instafacial. So after we honed that, and I've been doing that for 12, 15 years now, we all along we thought, let's try to replicate this for people who can't come into the office. And that was the motivation for creating medicine. And within medicine, we started with the Instafacial collection. And we spent years formulating these products to replicate as closely as possible the Instafacial results. So, but that's why I started. I wanted to be able to offer to my patients who do an Instafacial and then go on location for two years and can't get back. I wanted to be able to maintain the results and I wanted to be able to offer people who can't come in. I mean, a lot of the world cannot come and see me. I get that. And so we wanted to be able to offer something that was as, you know, had 
medical grade results. And so that's what we did. We're, it's, it works amazingly well. The feedback is incredible. The result, my skin has never looked better. Everyone who uses it says their skin's never looked better. So, so we're very private, but that's how that came about. Well, I'm so grateful that you shared this story, all these stories with us, Dr. Diamond, and I really appreciate your vulnerability. I think it's really important that as we all continue on our journeys, um, we get to hear the real stories, right? Not just um, the polished ones that we might read about. So this wraps up our interview segment of the show. I want to thank you for your honest answers. Okay, last bit. We have a few minutes left for questions. Um, you got a lot of questions here. I'm going to start with a like technical one based on your day job. Someone is asking about soft wave, a new non-surgical procedure. Do you see this taking off? And that's Tracy who asked. Yeah, we do. I do like soft wave. It's a good. It's a good. As long as the settings are right, it's a good technology that's pretty safe and effective. Yeah. All right. Someone named. T.H. Boxed um, is saying that in northern New Jersey years ago, there was a Dr. Diamond who was highly regarded for nose jobs. Is this person a relative of yours? It is not a relative. I was asked that question every single day of my career for the first five or six years of practice. Every single day. And I thought, you know, let me just tell her. I knew who the guy was. My babysitter, when I was <laughs> when I was nine, went to him. She was 17. I remember she came a week later to the cast on. I heard this guy when I was nine years old. Yeah, he, if you were 16 years old in New York, he did your nose. But no, Howard Diamond, no, I was, I was not related to him, but I used to think maybe I'll tell people him, but I never did tell people that. But then after 2005, I think I, I stopped hearing that question. I haven't heard that question since like 2005. Okay, so this is a throwback question. I love that. Okay, so how do I fix my new, <laughs> how do I fix my Newly single dad's rooster neck. It really bothers him. This is Linda asking. Yeah, that. so <laughs> that there are many different ways to fix laxity in the neck and the, and the double chin area. Totally depends on the age. Totally depends on what the anatomy is that is responsible for the appearance you don't like. Sometimes it's just fat and you can liposuction it. But if it's not fat, then liposuction would make it worse. And so, in which case you need to tighten the muscles and remove some skin. Sometimes you just need to tighten the skin with laser technologies. Totally depends. It's a matter of assessing that person individually. Dad really needs to want to fix this. It can't be daughter's passion, right? Yeah. Oh, for right? sure. This needs to be really about what dad wants yeah. here. Okay, Morpheus versus a couple microneedling treatments, which is better, Chino's asking. Yeah, that also depends on the actual person. They both have benefits. I use them both. I use Morpheus, which is has needles. It sort of is like a like a needling treatment of sorts, but microneedling with somebody's plasma has a whole series of other benefits. So I use them both. Oftentimes it interchange. Sometimes I do one and a month later do another. Depends on what we're trying to fix. I wish I could answer the question just point blank is the answer, but it depends on the person. Okay, let's end let's end our question, our QA session with something not actually practical about your day job, but something really important. Time management. Um, so somebody here is asking advice for time management. So um, you've already talked about how you prioritize, but you know those emails pile up. I don't know if you use Slack in your office. The text messages roll in. You have to be somewhere crack of dawn, get home late at night. The managing stress aspect of this is probably really important. Yeah. You know, do you have a few tips of things that have been working for you as your workdays get more complicated and the needs of your kids get greater? Yeah, I think that 
dealing with your your stress level and your mental state, I think it's not only an important endeavor, I think it's a daily endeavor that you have to you have to undertake. You have to guard your your sanity by the day, by the hour, by the minute. And so I work really hard at it. So I have a I have a very strict regimen, you know, I, that I, some protocols that I follow, which involves getting up in the morning, hopping right in the cold plunge, forty four degrees, going right from there to work out, work out to the sauna, sauna to making my protein smoothie, getting ready for work, coming in, working, getting home, in being engaged with the kids. There's meditation involved in there. When I can break away for tournaments, I meditate. So I work really hard at doing all these things for health and wellness because I find that it's extremely important, especially as you get older, and it just makes your quality of life better. So I think you have to be strict. I think you have to battle. You know, age is a battle. We're fighting you know, every day. You have to, you sort of have to fight every day, both physically, mentally, to keep yourself maximized. And, and it's, it's not easy and it's hard work, but the work is well worth it. Right. It's almost like... Um you have to be a warrior to protect your serenity, right? hundred percent, hundred percent. That's a good way to put it. It's a right. daily it's battle. It's not easy. It's, Just a, like it's not joining easy. Joining the baseball team. It is not easy. It is a daily battle. You cannot rest on your laurels with that. Not even for a day. You can't even take a day off. I don't think. Like you know, every day, you know, and that's how I feel about it. So. Yeah. Last week, my dog, we have a puppy, she was sick and she was on medicine. So it, like it messed up her, you know, like system and she's waking up like in the middle of the night, she had to go outside and all this stuff. So for like one whole week, almost two weeks, I had like no nights of sleep and like sleep is like the most important thing to yeah. me. I love it. I value it. I was a mess. Just yeah. because I didn't get enough sleep, right? Consistent sleep, sleep all through the night. I was so irritable. I would, therefore, then I was eating differently. Therefore, then I was feeling worse. Yeah. And like, I didn't even like want to talk to anybody in my household because I was so angry at this dog. Not her fault. But I was just really, really frustrated. I actually like went to my mother-in-law's, she's in Florida for the winter, just to sleep in a quiet place with no dogs, <laughs> like yeah. no other people. Because um, I just was so desperate for sleep. But like, just not having enough straight through sleep, like sent me like into a complete tailspin. Yeah. Right. Like, and I needed to protect it and leave my house <laughs> to get a good night's sleep. Yeah. Well, that's part of it. I mean, I feel the same way when I travel and I get off my diet. I mean, I've gone mm -hmm. for three days off my diet and I'm just like, what? I, I, I got to get back to the grind. Like, yeah, I mean, I, you can't, I can't let my guard down for a minute, you know. But when I'm on my groove, man, I'm yeah. I feel like uh, what I tell everybody for me, and this is for me. I feel like I tell everyone, I'm like a Ferrari. You give me a, you give me smooth road, I will fly at high performance. But you put bumps in the road, I'm not good with bumps in the road. I'm not like a Jeep. You know, but you give me that, you give me that smooth and that smooth road involves meditating and sauna and cold plunge and diet and exercise. And that's my smooth road. I'm a Ferrari. I can go high performance faster than anybody. I love it. And thank you for sharing all this with us, Dr. Diamond. You were our 247th episode. So thank you. And you're the last one of the year. Oh, the last wow. one of our health 
theme. So thank you so much for being awesome. a part of our show. My pleasure. And thank you for all of our listeners. If you like this episode, please rate and review. And as always, make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast platform and Instagram to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and all the fun we have along the way. Peace out, Dr. Diamond. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Tammy. You're welcome. So nice to see you. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. See ya. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.